Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading a, a new book we started last week, Betsy Timboom, Promise of God by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books. And I do want to remind you that this is a historical novel, so um, I hope that you enjoy it, and we're going to start with Chapter 2. The following morning, after Nolan and William went left for school, Papa, Mama, walked with me up to the street to Dr. Burnell's office. Corey, not yet old enough for school, stayed behind with Auntie Anna. Mama had spent most of the previous day in bed with a cough and didn't look too well that morning, but she insisted on accompanying us. I was nervous about the visit, and I think that was the reason she refused to let me go with, with only Papa. She assured me she would stay with me the entire time. Dr. Burnell's office was located above the Grand Cafe on the corner, past the police station, facing the grout market. To reach it, we passed by the building that housed the school. Windows from the second floor opened above the sidewalk, and as we walked past, I heard the younger children reciting their lessons. My class met in a room on the opposite side, and although it was out of earshot, the thought of it was enough to stir images of Vincent in my mind, where I could see him seated at his desk a few rows over from my own hunched over his book and tablet, diligently working the lesson. The thought of it put a smile on my face, but as we drew near the corner, I saw the sign for the doctor's office, and my face turned serious again. Dr. Brunel was waiting for us when we reached his office. He ushered Papa to the chair near the desk, and then took me with Mama through a door that led into an examination room. A table stood to one side with a screen around it. You can change over there, he gestured towards it. I had no clue what he meant and glanced at Mama with a questioning look. She smiled and came towards me. Here, I'll help you. A white gown lay on the table and she held it up to me to see. Put this on, she said. I hesitated at the thought of changing clothes, but she insisted, and having her to help made things better. In a few minutes, I was dressed in a robe and Dr. Burnell joined us. His nurse, Irene Dribble, stood nearby. With a gentle touch, he once again pressed along my abdomen tapping in places around my stomach. Then he listened in those same places with a stethoscope. Finally, he moved my neck and pressed his fingers against the flesh beneath my jawline. As he did, he stared down at me and tilted his head from side to side, as if watching the reflection in my eyes. When he finished, he stepped back from the table and took a seat on the chair in the corner. For a long time, he just sat there staring in my direction, not really looking at me, but as if his mind was lost in thought. Then Mama placed her hands on her hips and said, Well, what is it? I did some reading last night, Burnell said, but I can't be sure without blood tests. But I think she may have anemia. Anemia? Oh, not enough vitamins, Mama asked. Yes, Burnell's face looked grim. If I'm right, this is pernicious anemia. What does that mean? Dr. Burnell cleared his throat and glanced in my direction. Perhaps we should talk about this outside. No, Mama replied, with a look of realization that Brunel wanted to talk about me without me being present. We should talk about it here. Casper should hear. Then we'll talk about it together, she gestured towards me, all of us. Very well, Dr. Brunel looked over at me. Get dressed and we'll join your father. Then he stood and turned towards the door. When he was gone from the room, Mama helped me out of the gown and into my clothes. By then I was worried. What's wrong? Don't let it bother you, she replied. The doctor will tell us in a few minutes, and whatever is wrong, we will find a way. God will make a way. But what is anemia? I'm not sure. 
Why was he so... Hush now, she admonished in a stern but quiet voice. With a tug or two, she pulled my clothes into place and ran her hands down the side to smooth a wrinkle. There, you look very nice. Then she took my hand in hers, and we started towards the door. As she did, I could feel the tension in her fingers, and in spite of what she had said, I knew she was worried. We came from the examination room to find Dr. Burnell sitting at his desk. Papa was in a chair across from him. They stood as we entered the room. Here we are, Mama said with a smile, and Papa helped Mama and me to sit beside him. And when we were in place, she looked over at Dr. Burnell. Now, whatever you have to say, say it to all of us. Betsy's not a young girl anymore. You said so yourself last evening. Whatever is wrong, it's wrong with her body, and she has a right to know what it is. As you wish, Dr. Burnell settled into the chair behind the desk. He rested his hands on his lap and laced his fingers together. Anemia, he began slowly, is a condition in which your body lacks vitamins. Normally, there's a matter of diet and can be cured simply by altering the food you eat or by taking supplements each day. His eyes focused on me. Mama reached over and rested her hand on mine as he continued. But your condition is different. If I'm correct, your anemia condition isn't caused by lack of vitamins in your diet. It's caused by an inability of your body to absorb them. If you're correct, Papa asked. Yes. Burnell nodded. How will we know if you're correct? There are tests that will confirm the diagnosis. What kind of tests, Mama asked. Rather simple ones from a blood sample. But you should know, Dr. Burnell looked away. This condition does not respond to treatment with supplements. What are you saying, Mama asked. Say whatever it is. This condition, Dr. Burnell sighed is pernicious. And what does that mean? Mama's forehead was wrinkled in her frown, and I could tell by the sound of her voice that she was getting frustrated. Pernicious, she said insistently. What does that mean? Don't hide behind words. Just say what it is. Fatal, the doctor said flatly. The condition is fatal. The words hit me hard, but I gave no immediate reaction. I knew fatal meant deadly, but I didn't feel that bad. Just tired, and I got out of breath very easily. Besides that, as the words hit my ears, a sense of confidence welled up inside me. I was as certain as a 14-year-old could be that this was not the end. I could not have said it that way back then, but that's how I felt. God had more for me to do than to die from a lack of vitamins in my blood. Mama, on the other hand, didn't take it so well. She sagged against the back of the chair as if all the energy had suddenly drained from her body. Is there nothing that can be done? She lamented. You mentioned tests. What about that? Dr. Brunel scooted forward in his chair. There's a doctor at the hospital in Amsterdam. His name is Johan Trump. He's doing research in that area. Rather than spend time with me, guessing at what might be wrong, I suggest you see him. He took a small tablet from the far side of the desk and scribbled down the name. Here he handed the pet note to Papa. If you tell me when you're going over there, I'll send him a telegram and notify him to expect you. Okay, Papa nodded. We'll go tomorrow, Mama interjected. The life suddenly returned to her voice. Papa looked surprised. She has already missed one day of school this week, he said with a gesture in my direction. And she'll likely miss many more, Mama retorted. But if the condition is fatal, we should get to it with urgency. Papa smiled the way he always did when he knew Mama was right. Yes, we should indeed. He looked over at Dr. Burnell. Tell Dr. Trump we'll be there tomorrow. The doctor acknowledged Papa with a nod and looked over at Mama. 
Are you feeling well enough for a trip? It's only to Amsterdam, Mama, retorted. The next day, while William and Nolly went off to school, and Corey remained at home under the watchful eye of Aunt Anna, I followed Mama and Papa into the opposite direction to catch the trolley. We took it uptown to the train station and rode to Amsterdam. On most occasions, a train ride was a treat. I was glad to see the countryside beyond Harlem. But that day, all I could think of was Vincent and the two days I'd been absent from school. Half an hour later, we arrived at the station in Amsterdam. I'd been to the city before and never once thought of it as imposing. In fact, I found its size and congestion energizing. But that morning as we left the train, I wondered if Papa knew where the hospital was located and which trolley to take us to get us there. I was about to ask when he stepped confidently to the curb and hailed one of the horse-drawn carriages that awaited out front. Mama, normally even more frugal than he, never said a word of protest. She just held out her hand and waited for him to help her up to the seat. That's when I knew Papa was worried about me, too. The ride through the city was pleasant, with the clip-clop of the horse's hoofs on the pavement and the jingle of his harness as it seemed as though we were on a holiday rather than a quest for medical attention. I gazed out at the people as we passed and wondered where they were going. They looked so earnest and serious as they made their way along the sidewalk. Business, I thought. They're all business. After a pleasant ride through the city, we arrived at the main entrance to the hospital. A stately brick structure. It looked larger than anything I'd ever seen. Papa helped us from the carriage and led the way up the steps to the front hallway. A nurse pointed us towards the south wing. There we found a ward reserved solely for Dr. Trump's patients, but he was nowhere in sight. One of the nurses guided us to an examination room. Like with Dr. Burnell, I was instructed to change to a gown for the examination. I shed my clothes and put on it much easier than before, but was nervous about what would happen next and wanted to ask Mama about it. But before I could speak, Dr. Trump entered the room. Unlike before, he asked Mama to leave the room and examine me alone. I was uneasy about that, but she assured me she would be just beyond the door and that I would be fine. The examination didn't take long. When he finished, a nurse drew a blood sample from my arm, which she repeatedly explained was necessary for tests to diagnose my condition. I knew she said that because I was young, and she thought I wouldn't understand. As the nurse left the room, Dr. Trump appeared again, but only to tell us that the tests would take a day or two and that they would contact us when the results were ready. After Dr. Burnell's suggestion that I might not have long to live, and in the tension of traveling to the large city, our experience at the hospital provided less than the conclusive answer for which we had hoped. We rode home to Harlem, relieved that this much of the experience was over, but tense about what lay ahead. Two days later, a telegram arrived telling us that the test results were ready in Amsterdam. Mama and Papa traveled with me back to the hospital where Dr. Trump confirmed that Dr. Burnell had suspected I was anemic. But it's not a simple vitamin deficiency, he explained. She has a condition that prohibits her body from absorbing vitamins. She could take vitamin supplements and that might help other aspects of her health, but it won't change her basic condition. How long can she live? Most patients with pernicious anemia only live a few years beyond the diagnosis. Tears came to Mama's eyes, and Dr. Trump quickly added, but we are making progress on that. Some of our patients are now doing quite well. He glanced at my direction. Would you be interested in that program? Would that be expensive, Mama asked, before I could respond. 
Not at all, Trump replied. The Queen has generously endowed our research with a grant from the Crown. Treatment would be free in exchange for participation in our research, of course. But what would that involve, Papa asked. We use experimental treatments. None of it is toxic, but most of it has never been tried before. And there would be more blood tests like the one you had a few days ago to follow the treatment results. This is all new to us, Papa replied, and it seemed to be happening quite rapidly. Mama looked across at him. It is happening quickly, Casper, but I don't think we have any other alternative. That was the first and only time I ever heard her refer to him by his first name. And that's also when the seriousness of the moment finally caught up with me. I'm scared. I squeezed Mama's hand. I know, she said softly. She put her arm around my shoulder and drew me to her side. But I think the doctor can help you, and I am certain in my heart that it will be all right. She looked down at me with a kind smile. Aren't you certain of it? I was yesterday. Then hold on to that hope and live from it today. Of course, Dr. Trump spoke up. She would have to be available each day for the test and treatment. Each day, Papa asked? Yes, the treatments and tests must be administered under tight control and at specific times, and all of it is documented precisely. A cloud came over Mama's face. The trip each day would be a bit difficult. I have a cousin who lives here, Papa suggested. Mama had a skeptical expression. But would they help? We can ask. From the hospital, we traveled across town to visit Father's cousin, Garrett von der Poel, and his wife, Marguerite. They lived in Amsterdam's Jewish quarters, where Garrett had a jewelry shop that, like my Papa's watch shop, occupied part of the first floor of their home. I remembered seeing them only once before at Grandfather's funeral, but they seemed to know me from the moment we arrived. Marguerite led me through the house to the table in the kitchen. Not long after we arrived, Garrett came from the jewelry shop and joined us at the table while we all drank a cup of coffee. Afterward, I sat quietly listening while Mama and Papa told them about my condition and explained the situation with the daily treatments and tests at the hospital. Before they could ask, Garrett interrupted. That's too much travel each day. It would be expensive and not a good situation for Betsy. She should stay with us. Marguerite will see that she gets to the hospital each day. Yes, Marguerite added enthusiastically. I would be happy to help. She looked in my direction. We have a room upstairs that is perfect for you. She reached across the table for my hand. Come, I will show it to you. When I hesitated to follow, Mama urged me with a nod. She wanted me to be comfortable in these new surroundings, but I could see sadness in her eyes, and I knew she did not want us to be apart. After a tour of the house, we ate lunch, and then we returned home in the middle of the afternoon. I spent the remainder of the day with Auntie Anna, packing my clothes. Mama helped us a little, but her cough got the best of her, and she retreated to her room. Nolly came in and out of the room with things to loan to me, and Corey kept us company with her constant chatter. I could tell by how fast she was talking that she didn't understand what was happening or why I was leaving. After she repeated the same question for the third time, I figured out that she just wanted to talk her way through it. So I ignored the questions and talked to her, repeating again every detail of the two trips that we already made, descriptions of the hospital and the ward, and of Garrett and Marguerite's house. It seemed to satisfy her, and by the time I'd run out of things to say, we were done and the trunk was full. The next morning, after the others had said goodbye and left for school, Papa called a wagon for my luggage. While he and the driver loaded it, Mama came from her room, and I said goodbye to her in the hallway.
I assumed she would return to bed, but instead she followed me downstairs. She did her best to be brave and was calm and composed right up to the moment I turned around to step onto the wagon. As I put my foot onto the metal step to swing onto the seat, she grabbed me with both arms, squeezed me close, and sobbed. I burst into tears, and Papa turned away. We stood there for what seemed a long time until finally she leaned over, brushed my hair with her hand. You go now and get well quickly so you can come right back. Yes, Mama. I'll do just that. And then Papa helped me up to the seat, climbed up after me, and we rode together to the station for the trip back to Amsterdam. Next time will be Chapter 3, and we'll find out what happens. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.